Today on Panelism, we discuss the dangers of recaffeinating so late in the afternoon. Welcome to Panelism, the podcast where we talk about the comic books and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I am Todd A. Taylor Trask. That absolutely has to be the intro, Todd. Oh, okay. Are you Let- have you recaffeinated today? Um, yeah, so I we were talking earlier, like I have discovered the beauties of C B D coffee. And um I don't take too much, but it's very it, it's very effective in kind of just giving you a nice um you know comfortable focus. But sometimes I think I've I think I've overdone it a little bit this weekend because I feel that, do you get the caffeine feeling like that's definitely what's happening to me and I'm only just starting my my afternoon cup but it's you know I'm I'm already feeling a little jittery that's what I'm saying oh yeah you it's 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 the caffeine feeling but it's not jittery so much as like peppy it's like uh-huh, you feel right. sort of this kind of like almost euphoric energy where it's just like yeah and, but it's not it doesn't have that that nervous kind of frayed you know jittery feeling that normal coffee gives you. Right, that I'm I'm currently having. Perfect. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh man, it just feels like we. Uh, it's funny because we recorded last week. Um, although this episode that people are listening to may come out of order, but um, we had such a long chit chat beforehand last week that it was like we were just we just rolled right into the podcast. Like we just hit record, we just kept going. Yeah. And this week it's like just been we <laughs> we've tried to record the intro like five times. Ah, oh, boy, it's. It's just a punchy weekend, I guess. That is. Um, But as we were trying to say in the intro, we uh, threw out the idea of like, I had a book I wanted to talk about. Um, You recently reread a book that you wanted to talk about, like a a series. Mm -hmm. And and then as we just caught up before we hit record, you were telling me that um, you're sort of you're having your own little uh, comic book book festival in your house. Like you're sort of going back through a lot of beloved uh, series, which is very cool. But it's here's the thing. So I I have truth be told I've been in kind of a lull since maybe December. Um, kind of the last book I really got into where I was like feeling you know f- you know feeling it and just loving the format and everything was the um, Day of the Magicians, uh, book I picked up in Santa Fe, and then that was kind of you know, I've been sort of reading things, but it feels more dutifully and it's it's a lot yeah. less than I had been reading you know since December and earlier earlier. Um, so that yeah, you know, that had been sort of a little little sad, and then you know, um, it had my my shelves have just been kind of staring at me this whole time, and then all of a sudden, uh, Friday afternoon, we're recording this on a Sunday, Friday afternoon, I just kind of like fell in love with my shelf again, like it was my own little private comic shop, and things that I hadn't picked out or looked at for like a long time, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Wait, I I I already I'm at, I'm home now. I own this. It's like you kind of it just had that that feeling of re-experiencing a lot of these books again. So I. I that's went deep cool. on a bunch of different uh, titles that I won't talk about them all, but like there's definitely one in particular um, that led to touch on. Else. Yeah, that, that led to something else. That, that's cool because I, you know, and I, as you said that, I had to sort of remind myself because I think when we taught when we recorded our last episode together on the book Why Art, we felt like, hey, this is the first book talk we've had in a while. 
But so I just went back through our the episodes for this year. We talked about Rat Queens and um, Black Monday murders in January. And then wow. we have not had like a book club, like chit chat where we're talking about books specifically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until last week. So into April, the difference is like you talked to uh, Daniel Rojas, um, you had talked to Frank Fry. So a lot of comic book chats when we talked about our playlist for shut-ins, we talked about comic books. You talked to the Obscura creative team, like yeah, tons of comic book talk, but not that like dedicated, like, Hey, this week we read these books. Yeah. Um, I true. have, well. I'd actually gone through, uh, uh, similar to you, sort of uh, not rediscovering ones I'd already read, but I finally finished I Hate Fairyland, was able to yeah. complete that series. Wow. Um, yeah, and have my Let's own Let's talk little... about that sooner than later, because that's it came up in the <laughs> Danny Ross discussion, but yeah. like, I would love to, because I, I have both of those volumes sitting on my shelf. That's what spurred me back. on, was your conversation with Daniel. Like, I yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta finish this out. And I had purchased the uh, volumes three and four, earlier i just hadn't you know they just never sort of bubbled up in the tbr pile so yeah that, i'm i'm glad we're doing this today <laughs> well what's the first thing you read that you uh want to shout out sure um so i we had mentioned this in our playlist for shut-ins that was sort of the week image had a couple of big releases come out and one of them was mirka andolfo's mercy mm. um mirka andolfo created this comic book called unnatural that i talked about um last year and just a that was a supremely weird comic and um there was it's hard to say hype but it's like i i guess she had finally she had you know has done a lot of books like with other collaborators and stuff but it has just been building up that um that enthusiasm around her own creator owned works and so as i went back to look up stuff on mercy i actually found out like there was an announcement at San Diego Comic-Con last year, you know, like this was like hyped, like, hey, it's another creator book from Mirka Andolfo. Um, and uh, so this first issue came out and the reason we talked about it in March was because Image was, uh, they were um, hyping the fact that this had sold out in its first print run. Um, so I was not able to get my hands on a physical copy of it before uh, the lockdown started. Um, but I did grab it on Comixology, and it is a six-issue limited series. They have only published uh, issue one so far, and I don't know what the holdup is, but I assume it may have something to do with um, – uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Just learned some news as I scrolled down the page. I thought this was a holdup from Diamond because it had such a great print run. I am now seeing that two and three – uh, or two was released this month and three is coming up in about a week and on May 6th, but number two is not available on comiXology. So that's interesting to that know. That is interesting. Um, so, cause that's how I was going. I was checking comiXology all the time. Um, but, uh, if you, for any reason, remember what I said about unnatural unnatural was this, uh, strange dystopian future of the government controlling who could reproduce when and sort of putting a literal biological clock in place. Like if you were not married by 24, then you had to participate in a government run dating uh, program, like basically an okay Cupid that the government controlled and they would find a mate for you to reproduce with. So it had all these like dystopian handmaid's tale kind of elements to it, but the entire world was populated with anthropomorphic animals. So it was centered around a pig girl. Um, 
and in this, you know, so it's a really crazy fantasy world that that unnatural takes place in. Mercy is could not be farther away from that. Like it is grounded uh, Victorian Gothic horror. And I had been unfamiliar with uh, Mirka Andolfo prior to reading Unnatural. I think she's an Italian artist, but I know she's done work on like bombshells and some big like um, swords and sorcery fantasy kind of series for DC and other publishers. So, you know, she's, she's got like a lot of experience on everything. Um, This is like her take on an Edgar Allan Poe tale. And it is super cool because of that, because uh, she just has this really, um, flowy way of drawing that's not superhero-y, uh, but it's but you know it's definitely not like like really super indie comic or anything. It's um kind of a kind of a mix of um a pinup drawing and like a manga illustration, um and the colors in Mercy are just uh, like all these really rich dark blue hues um, that are then offset by bright pinks and reds and stuff to show now, off the blood. I'm seeing, I'm seeing those on the cover. Is that what I can expect on a panel by panel basis too? It's definitely like a broader palette within, but um, it feels so, uh, it just feels like such a great take on that era, you know, mm. um, that like I said, Poe, but like, you know, as I've, I'm flipping through and I see these villains that have the sort of scruffy beards and the, uh, bowler hats and they look very like Dickensian sort of, you know, um, <laughs> like, you know, the, the roughnecks of good old Victorian days. Um, uh, you know, a lot of women with, uh, lace veils over their faces and men in top hats and, uh, pork pies and stuff like that. Um, but along with that is this kind of uh, American tale of like there's a one of the first characters we're introduced to is a girl who's um, I think her father is a Native American and her mother is Irish. And so she was raised Catholic. So you're only kind of getting hints in the first issue of of what like how this all ties together. Um, but you know, right off the bat, like just a couple pages in, you're sort of like realizing like, Oh, religion's going to be a big part of this. This is very much in that, um, in that Gothic tradition, you know, uh, it is for sure have a, like, um, it, it, you know, it, she's telling, she's telling a story like, in obviously like very conscious of present day and all this kind of stuff. So it is like a, a multicultural tale. The women are very empowered and like, you know, have their own agency and stuff. It's not a take on like Victorian Gothic literature told in that same style, you know, of like men being the protagonists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far what I can see is that there, there are sort of three uh, prime women that this is going to, that the story is going to uh, circulate around. Um, but I just I don't really know more than that. You know, it's 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 pretty cool. This is one of those titles where I I'm sure I would appreciate it when it's all collected. But I'm glad to be reading it issue by issue, especially during days like this where I just, you know, I, I kind of want to check into a story, get to the next chapter and then check out for a while. So, mm. um, yeah, So you've only read issue one, right? I have. I love that it's Mirka Andolfo's Mercy, like in all the titles and all the meta right. you know, information everywhere, which I didn't realize she was the writer and the artist. So you might as well, yes. if you're going to put, you know, if you're, it doesn't look like there's any collaboration up until like maybe the variant covers. Um, 
on that. So it's it's kind of, but it's just kind of fun to see that you know every when you first mentioned it, I was like, people don't typically put their own names and their titles, but she does. And I it's am a cool, seeing, cool name. Like too. seriously, like it's like I'm breaking news to myself. I'm seeing on the Image website that this is available on Comicsology issue two, <laughs> and mm. I have looked for it so many times because because I bought this several weeks ago. Uh, when we had that first conversation um, about like the playlist for shut-ins and I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm not going to go out to a comic book shop anytime soon. Um, let me, let me pick this up. So it's definitely got all the touchstones that I wanted in a Victorian Gothic tale. The, the little girl who is um, half native and uh, half Irish um, is an orphan and she's like put to hard labor by the, you know, this, this townsfolk that this man that's sort of like, you know, he represents to the, to the town that he's like helping out all these orphans, but it's really just slave labor for his own factory. Um, and it's got the, the, um, the two aristocratic women. One of them seems to have these sort of supernatural gifts or abilities Wait, or this something. Is all, this is all the first issue. Yup. You just keep reading. Like I'm, I'm like, I, I keep thinking maybe he's describing a series, but I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. He's only read the first issue. Like this is a, is it an extra sized issue? I honestly, as I was reading it, um, you know, it was it was one of those weird experiences where I thought, uh, oh, maybe maybe this is like the whole story. Maybe it's one, you know, it's it's smaller than a trade paperback, but no, it is. It was just thirty pages, so it's only six pages longer, I think, than a normal story. Um, I mean, it, it's uh, there's a lot packed in there, but there's not a lot of the overarching story. Your this issue issue one is really introducing you to the cast of characters and how they interact. Uh, learning that I think her name is Lady Helene, who's the, that's, the that's aristocratic the woman. The well, I, no, that is um, uh, I believe someone else. Um, but that but, that character appears on looks like all the uh, maybe all the covers. Yes, there is a redheaded aristocratic lady. I believe that's Lady Helene. That's uh Okay. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking her name is Lady Swanson. Gosh. Oh my gosh. Too much um, stuff. She, so, and is she, she kind of like is she like a Mina Harker sort of character in this like Circle League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Is that sort of Because I'm looking at these covers I um I'm instantly reminded of another series called Lady Mechanica that is Oh yeah, yeah. Drawing yeah, but it, it, the art looks oddly similar, but it has a intriguing lady Victorian character um, as the lead too. I'm just sort of it. Huh. I just I'm kind of wondering if that's sort of a new genre now. This sort of you know not doesn't have to be steampunk specifically, but Victorian era you know female heroines antagonists you know whatever you want to whatever you want to say. Um, interesting. I'm unfamiliar with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, but what? I, I yeah. What? <laughs> Whoa. But I can see it in in what I know of that era. You know, it is that I'm, although I keep saying it's Victorian Gothic, that's all that's like right off the back cover of the book. So I, 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 I got to go back to I'm not familiar. Are you serious? You have not read League of Extraordinary Gentlemen yet. I just thought it was a um, awesome action packed movie with oh, uh, Sean Connery. No, you didn't. I have never read it, nor have I seen the movie. Um, oh, my God. We're going to have to fix that then. There is. OK, I deliberately I'm going to choose that as probably my next book to discuss on the show, because you, there is a wealth of, of literary references um, right. know, throughout that entire story that I think you would appreciate. But then the Alan Moore goes deep, very, very, yeah, deep that's what, on, right. It's Alan Moore, right. That hat. Yeah. He do. Yeah, he, some of it just, you feel like he's just showing off. It's just like, I, uh, well, it's available to borrow volume one. So yeah, there you um, go. 
borrowed. Yeah. Um, uh, I update uh, issue number two of Mercy is not on Comixology. When you click the Comixology <laughs> link on image, it says, uh-oh. Um, so, yeah, okay. I maybe don't feel do bad for not now, being Maybe Comixology out. does this thing now where if a thing sells out physically, they stop selling it digitally just to well, mirror the real world. Wouldn't that be cool? It's like, oh, I mean, nope, I can see that Image sort of preloaded their website with the schedule. And then all this crap went down with Diamond, which you and I, I don't have a lot of insight into. But Diamond is essentially the only distributor of all comic books all over the States. And I think into Europe as far as like, you know, England, I think. I'm not totally sure. And a bunch of game supplies. And they just like, and totally justifiable that they would shut down in the pandemic like thank god they're not making people go to work and yeah. expose themselves uh to each other but it, they have a sort of stranglehold on the industry because of that so i it's wonder so absurd. yeah and i wonder if image is holding the digital release until they know they can have a physical release to match it because oh, i can imagine like oh yeah so much of their income is probably based on issue two selling out after issue yeah. one does you know true yeah like if we've all read it digitally who's gonna go pick it up and which is a real shame, uh, I, I but I don't know a way around that. It could be there's a warehouse. I would imagine there is a warehouse full of issue number two and three. And that's yeah. why it's here on the website. But anyway, it's like it's a super cool book. It's like just different enough from her other work that you're interested in reading it. But it's also just got her style in the art. Um, and I and I should make a note because I know uh, in the past I've 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 made um, a less than flattering note that's that I've, I've read some books where the artist, someone you've known as an artist becomes the writer to something. And I feel like, ah, maybe they shouldn't have been the writer on that. But this one mm. felt really seamless to me. Nice. Like, you know, the tone matches in the writing and the art. And, it, it, and I think one of the really, um, notable things to me is sort of in the, in the way the pages are laid out. They're not just laid out like, you know, it's, and I don't know enough about this, like to to talk intelligently about it. I probably shouldn't say anything, but I, I I do feel like in some other works you, where it's a single creator, you're wishing for like a you know an angle change or something. You know, it's like uh, it feels like all the lines are being delivered in the same uh, like frame kind of thing. Um, and this one I think just moves around. It's like you know the camera if you want to um, moves around enough that it keeps it interesting, and so you. You know, it's all it all just flows together really well. And and I, yeah, really enjoyed it. Very good. Um, I picked up a issue of something that also I we were talking about this before, too. It's not I don't know for sure if it sold out, but there was rumor that it had sold out um, in its first its first run. And this was a little a little further back, but not much. I think it was, you know, not maybe three weeks before. Colorado shut down, but mm. I picked up issue one of Decorum by Jonathan Hickman and Mike Huddleston, and I picked up the variant uh, edition that I actually posted on Instagram on Friday too. Uh, that really it has kind of like a cool tribal tribal cover. So that's that's my issue. And um, you know, it's I knew after East of West ended that Hickman was starting some other cool new series. When instead he should be finishing his other existing cool series, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, he's a genius, and it's it's just you know let it flow, man. I guess wherever it takes you. But he started. I, I knew he was going to launch a new series, and there had been some sort of hints about it, but not you know it's it's 
the comics industry is a little different in that there's not sort of this obsessive need for spoilers before something comes out. Like you can kind of keep a project a lot more secret. A because it's a smaller business, but B there's you know there's seldom more than two or three people involved, so you don't have this you know kind of food chain of potential leakage or spoilers to you know you know for any given project or property. So out comes a series called Decorum, and it is probably the most Hickman thing that has ever existed <laughs> since since Nightly News, which was sort of the previously most Hickman thing that ever existed. And by that I mean he has a certain style of storytelling that he's really gotten into um both in terms of tone and point of view and um you know east to west did it really well but you could get it in in um dying in the dead a little bit you get it in black monday murders you get in a, you get it in his marvel stuff too but it's his indie stuff he really reflects that so you get that here but then it also you know hickman has a lot of design design aesthetic things that he you know, started in nightly news, things like his infographics yeah. to, you know, to give context, things like the way he stages, you know, early on he was taking photos of actual people sort of posing. And then he was able to draw, you know, kind of, you basically trace around them and, and flesh out the, you know, the, the art, the art, you know, art side of it. And you can give them enhanced clothing or different things, but you have, it's a lot easier to, to work when you have these like wonderful you know if you're not the best you know, illustrator you can kind of you know do all this stuff and, and then he uh, he layered it into photoshop in this beautiful kind of graphic designy way and he did that same thing on pax romana but with a very kind of different uh different take on it so he's got this kind of unique sense of style this unique sense of art you know artistic design the infographics the way you know in east of west he has the, you know these great timelines that come and go um, and so there's all those pieces to it. And then just this, this idea of, you know, systems, he loves, he loves examining systems and systems that people take <laughs> for granted and how to take those systems down and mess with them, whether it's the, like the government or the, the scientific industrial complex in, um, oh God, uh, I just forgot the damn series name that won the, the, uh, World War II science series, Manhattan, in, Manhattan. Yeah. Good Lord. Um, or the system of the, you know, the apocalypse in the East of West, the system, you know, the financial system in Black Monday murders, um, in terms of his Marvel stuff, um, kind of what he's doing with X-Men, you know, breaking down the X-Men as their previous, their system and building a brand new one. He, he just loves all of, all of that. Yeah. So, um, to see that all come together in this book is amazing. So it's, you've got everything he, that he sort of loves. It's like when Tarantino indulges, like that's kind of what you're feeling like with, with this It's like, it's all the shit that he likes. But then on top of that, you have an artist in Mike Huddleston who brings an, a very avant-garde, very, very sort of theatrical or, you know, like indie film kind of quality to the art that I have not seen. I don't think ever, maybe since zero zero does it a little bit. Um, it's that great, time travel series from about five years ago that we've never really talked about, but it's probably mm. going to come up soon. But that book zero as a series is held up a lot by graphic art, you know, really good graphic designers because the covers are amazing. The interior panels um, have a different style altogether, but and it's fairly consistent, but with decorum, it is, it's like a combination of, really dreamy amazing watercolor and single like rough sketch like pencil drawings you know that have nothing attached to them and like almost like storyboards and then like these beautiful like 
you know, vistas and things with interesting mm. layers of paint. Like it, he takes completely different styles, but then he'll intertwine like kind of Hickman-y sort of graphic elements on top of it again. So it has kind of, if there is such a thing as a retro, you know, if you think of like 2009, 2010 as like retro Hickman, this kind of has a retro Hickman vibe <laughs> in that respect. It's interesting. It's just, it's, it's like an amazing, I'm trying to think of like a Bowie album or something that came out in like the 80s or you know 70s or 80s where you're like, oh my God, this is like everything this artist has done up till date, but like it's all together now. It's, it's are like you, they are you saying this is a, a tin machine? <laughs> I don't, mm, <laughs> I don't know if tin machine is the one I would, uh, I would go for, but yeah. Uh, that's just my favorite Bowie reference. So it looks like Huddleston is uh, the artist in Middle West. Are you reading that series? I love Middle West. Yes. Um, and it's it's hard to t- it's hard to tell that that's the case. Um, mm. his, his work in Middle West is wonderful, but it's all consistent. Like it's yeah. that same style. It um you know the colors are pretty. Con- you know, the colorist in Middle West is really amazing too. But like this is and you get a you there's some similarity, but the way he draws the characters and decorum are completely different. And just everything yeah. about it, I I cannot. You really have to open it up and start looking through it. It's like every two pages, the, everything shifts. Like this, the, the entire design aesthetic shifts. Sometimes it looks like it's you know a Frank Miller Dark Knight esque mm. sort of homage, and then sometimes it's like just very crude, almost like cave drawings. And then some, and then early, early on, my favorite part, what really hooked me in, is uh, early, early on, there is a deliberate visual reference to Jodorowsky's Dune. He includes mm. one of the ships that Chris Foss design for the movie like he basically either includes it as a direct copy or a very very close amalgamation of a lot of those like it's obvious like i opened up my chris foss book and i found like almost the exact same ship um it's there's a scene where like these kind of space pirates are invading this um this preserve um and you see the ship so that was like that really hooked me hmm. to like oh this guy loved jodorowsky's dune that's awesome um but just everything is very gra- like the graphic design piece is probably what pulled me in more than the story, at least so far. The story is yeah. interesting, but it's very subtle. It's very much kind of world building, and there's not a lot of there's not like a a really strong thread yet or characters mm. that we should know just yet. So it's you know it's it's definitely going to take its time or just be really kind of abstract like that. It's uh, it's hard to this is a weird question to ask in regards to a Hickman book, especially after East of West, but the fact that the back of the book cover or, you know, cop the copy that's on image is selling it says uh, there are many assassins in the known universe. Do you feel like the scope of this is broader than like, is the playground bigger than it ever has been before? Oh God. Yes. In okay. fact, they, they go to great lengths to like show you these kind of star maps about like where oh. all these different factions are from. And like, so you get, they could, they could troll around you know, a large amount of space without any issue. Cool. And then it, does it feel more sci-fi in that way? Or, I mean, how, how grounded is it in, in current reality? I mean, that's the trick. It feels like <laughs> it feels like it's vi- kind of like East to West, which I you know I think was like kind of very grounded post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic Western sci-fi. <laughs> There's a genre for you. Yeah. Um, this feels this feel like it's very grounded in like the characters you do get to meet and the dialogue you do hear feels very grounded very much like this could just be a mob drama in the in the 1920s you know this right. doesn't have to so it's almost like the environment is exaggerated to to let 
uh, Mike Hilton, Mike Huddleston just you know play and do these crazy things. But it has like this kind of strange Kingsman quality to it too, where like one of the assassins is very much. She's all about politeness and manners and very specific yeah. kind of you know high class dialogue and you're like well that's interesting like just there's all these interesting things afoot um, so I mean I I hope this is one of those series that is also limited where they don't yeah. go on it should you know end either with with one volume or you know maybe two max I don't this should yeah. not be something that's east of west length I I would hope I and mean, maybe but like it <laughs> it would get exhausting because it's because of how in, how very sort of in, uh, innovative it is visually gotcha. and how it takes it takes a lot of risks there to have anything too long would just be i it would become a a, a parody of itself or you know, huddleston would just get tight you know tired it just well, wouldn't feel inventive at that point it, you know what's really what's interesting to me now about this is um because i've never read a hickman series as single issues when i've dipped into them it's you know it's been an entire volume and I actually don't really know what that experience is like because the the groundedness that that we speak of a lot has to do a lot with like at, at least in my mind yes east of west sound, feels sort of grounded in its own crazy ass way because there is such like a deep history that he has done to build that world so it's like but, yeah this crazy uh, stuff is happening but you know what transpired over the last hundred years that got them to this place? The different, uh, but the, here's the here's the main difference. So east to west, the the world is already grounded. It's our world. Like he, right, he goes right. to great lengths to say this is the history you know up until like what nineteen you know eighteen sorry eighteen like well, six, it's a civil war the, yeah it's like whenever the meteor yeah. hits right and then everything from that point on deviates but it still comes from our own base reality so the environment can be grounded but the circumstances can be crazy which they are right in this i almost feel like the environment is crazy and the circumstances i mean it's so far it's just a bog standard assassin you know like mafia assassination sort of plot like that's all it is it's it's, it could that that's a grounded story we've seen a hundred thousand times so it's like that's the it's almost like a flip on itself from east to west in that regards you get you get that same dissonance, but it's the inside it's cool. the other way around. That's cool. Cause so then you're, you're, uh, then you're sort of, um, you're able to get at that because I, just to be honest, I think one of the things that's prevented me from getting into East of West is because you do have to do sort of a lot of work in reading those first couple volumes to kind of get to sort of feel like I've got the whole history established to where I can get into the story. And you've mentioned several times on this podcast, a thing that I have not done, which is you've read, you read that East of West of the world. Uh, yeah. That was the first which, thing, I read. which helped get you into it. Cause it was like, you already understood the world when you picked up volume one. And my experience was much different. Cause it was like, you know, I would flip, I, I got to volume two. I remember and being like, wait, what is happening? You know, I got to go back and remind myself and of what was in volume one, but then that wasn't even, you know, hadn't even been explained there. It's sort of like Hickman's already writing with this. He's already got the foreknowledge of like his whole history, but you're, you're having to catch up. So I, I honestly just literally just bought this on comiXology as I'm talking to you. You should. Um, yeah. And it's, it's we, pretty, you're good. But here's the thing. You're going to want to own it physically too, just because oh, okay. as you know, as a product of the comics medium, like you owe it to yourself and to it to, to have it physically. Like it just has, <laughs> well, it has that sort of quality where you just get the, the artifacts yeah. just, I think even maybe more, more so than the digital, it just it kind of, it, the way the, again, the way Huddleston does the art, there's a very, uh, oh, what's kinetic kind of quality to yeah. it that I think in physical form is probably a little even heightened. Well, I, um, 
you know, we talk about like digital versus physical all the time. And honestly, and, and then a thing that we hopefully haven't talked about too much because, uh, Lord knows like, um, we've all can't escape the pandemic talk, but, um, I, I think one of the things that's, that is maybe a positive effect of that, of being at home so much is that I am realizing like I can't indulge in the bigger thing. So reading a single issue mm. is, is like bringing me a lot more joy than maybe usually feeling like usually to me, single issues aren't actually single issues. They are a pile of single issues that I feel like I have to get through the whole pile, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I I'm, I'm being forced to, to take some time and space to just sort of live with single issues. So this may be a great time for me to start reading Hickman issue by issue with decorum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it looks like it's in the same position as uh, Mercy, where it did sell out that first week, which was March 11th. So mm-hmm. you can imagine, like, that was the week of the school shutdown in California and, you know, Diamond soon after. And I, I bet they're just holding on yeah. it. Um, so we've got we have another like thing that we want to jump into another book. But I, we would be remiss if we did not mention that on Humble Bundle, which is humblebundle.com, um, which is this crazy service, if you don't know about it, where they donate to charity um, by giving you the opportunity to sort of pay what you want for a bundle of work. And a lot of times this is video game related. Uh, but there is a Jonathan Hickman Humble Bundle right now. You can get... <laughs> every uh volume of east of west up to like nine i think you can get the six volumes of manhattan project you can get like i think it's six volumes of dying in the dead you get some single issues in there you get the nightly news black monday murders volume one and two all of this for a 15 dollars donation which is ludicrous so mm. <laughs> i sent that to you and, and in my mind i was like you know what i've given hickman a chance i don't really and then I'm looking at it right now, like going 15 bucks for all of this digitally. Like, yeah, why would I crazy. not do that? Like then every time you talk about uh red mass for Mars or <laughs> red wing or Pax, Pax Romana's in there too. Well, red mass um, for Mars, I'm not going to talk about again because I have promised myself <laughs> three times burned is, and you know, like th- yeah. fool me once. <laughs> what was the George W. Bush version of that? It's like, yeah, f- won't, fool me, won't get fooled again. <laughs> fool me, don't get fooled again. Like that's kind of where I am with Red Master Mars. Hey, I gotta, I gotta point out too, Mike Huddleston. I completely missed the fact that he was a artist on House of X. So oh, I, nice. I would think that his stuff in um, Decorum is a little more House of Xy in terms of how he draws his characters than Middle West. Okay, but, that makes sense. Yeah, but again, it, I can't stress that the it, it is even if you flip through some of the preview pages on on image like th- this is a very different looking book than you have ever seen before like it'll it'll require some patience to you know, really sit with and kind of understand how the art is i think more the story than the, the actual words themselves well i'm looking forward to getting into it uh on on comiXology after we stop recording yeah um and and uh maybe maybe that's a smooth transition maybe not um uh, you, when you texted me about this next book that we were going to discuss, you specifically called out how Guided View made it so easy to binge the series, which I think is a really cool idea. <laughs> yeah, well, it's yeah. It, it, let's be clear. I'm I, I'm going to name check a series because I it, it, this is sort of when, going back to the thing I mentioned earlier when I went down my rabbit hole on Friday uh, Friday evening. Um, I just in my got it in my head. I'm like, you know, I have not read Injustice Gods Among Us all the way through since I first 
you know, acquired each issue or volume back in um, 2014. And this is one of those, this is actually, we've talked about it a few times. This is one of the things that pulled me into comics pretty heavily. Um, It was Watchmen was kind of like the, the big thing. And then there was, there were two, two kind of ongoing series that because comiXology had just come out and the app was great. I actually just consumed both of these things via comiXology. One was the masters of the universe, um, run where it was the eternity war and all of that those kinds of things uh that was one of them and the other one was injustice gods among us and i did not realize for some bizarre reason i didn't realize it was a game first and then they decided oh, interesting. To the series to support what happened you know what were the events that um led to the game right and so that came later and then it then they actually used that to bridge to the second game and all of that that followed but i didn't realize that at first i thought this was just a cool kind of what if Elseworlds thing that DC was just mm. really running with. We've name checked it several times over the years. Um, so I may have learned that fact before, but at this moment it feels like fresh information to me that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that this was, that this came after the game. It's a, yeah, it's, it, that was just my own ignorance. Like I've mentioned that to some other people They're like, wait, you didn't know there was a game. I'm like, no, I they're like, the game is actually pretty cool. You didn't but- even know there was a game. <laughs> I didn't know. Not, not when I first started reading this and, and the, um, you know, the game only just makes you go, well, how the hell did all this come to be? And that has to be a, a, a you know, a really interesting story. And so in the game, if you're not familiar, a group of like, you know, Elseworlds Justice League members come to another version of Earth and they have to fight Superman and Wonder Woman um, and try to take them down because they become basically corrupt and evil and have taken over, become authoritarian dictators of, war, of, of Earth, essentially. Okay. And I think I forget who's all on the team at that point. Um, and then you're like, so you play the game so you can have like, you know, hero versus hero and these like kind of in, you know, high stakes ways. Gotcha. Well, the book, the series spends five years. Oh, my iPad keeps launching every time that I say the word series. Um, <laughs> the series, uh, uh, gives you the five years that lead up to that, you know, that those conditions. Um, and so I started, I jumped in. And I just was like, I thought I'd maybe just read would you know, read, uh, read volume one or two, which I think is year one, because every year is 24, 24 separate issues. So it's like a oh, great. Holy crap. Really? Yeah. 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 I, oh my gosh. When you, I, for whatever reason, I thought this was like a mini, mini series. Like I thought it was like six issues total. And the first Injustice Gods Among Us was five years, but they have kept, they've, they've sequelized the series now too so it's gone on long you know it's probably another 50 to 100 you know issues oh my lord thing too which i haven't even cracked um but you know every every year is 24 issues um which is it kind of feels like a tv series but each issue is you can crank through them so quickly and not because they're you know cheaply made or anything but but just because on guided view the action flows so nicely from panel to panel you're just swiping like crazy and you can just like crank through these things, um, especially the second time through, you can crank through pretty fast. So I was like, you know, maybe uh, a year every 90 minutes um, I was I was wow. getting through. And it was just like this really wholly satisfying experience, especially being able to go um, because they used to take breaks in between years. Right. I think every year yeah. was like a year of the actual calendar. Is that right? 2014 was year th- well, I mean, if- three. And if they were doing 24 issues per year, that's every two weeks they're releasing something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it although maybe maybe uh, maybe year one took, maybe they were doing it monthly and it took two years. I know they were doing it every week, and then oh my gosh. so but, but I think they take these breaks like six month breaks in between. They yeah. launch 
another year. Um, so, you know, this is the first time I got to read everything kind of back to back. And I went all the way up until uh, year five. And it, it and it's interesting because you can I, I can tell I didn't even buy up past like issue 19. I have since I have since I decided to complete year five. But even when I was still engaged in this, something happens in year five where everything just takes a massive dump in terms mm. of the, the storytelling. Let me just, I, 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 before I continue, I should probably set this all up. And this is, you know, this is a pretty big sprawling series, but you kind of need to know the hook is why Superman starts to go evil in the first place. And it happens in issue one, year one. And it's the, you know, they're, they're basically trying to stop the Joker from like a routine, you know, the justice league is trying to stop the Joker from a routine sort of thing. He's going to you know blow up, uh, I think Metropolis. But he uh, has somehow drugged Superman into thinking that, uh, you know, that Doomsday is coming to kill him. And so he grabs, you know, Superman grabs Doomsday and he you know, launches into the space and lets Doomsday go. And as it's happening, he realizes it's not Doomsday. It's not Doomsday. He's been drugged to think that Lois Lane is Doomsday and he just killed her in space. And oh, by the way, what? she was carrying his kid. So the Joe and then on top of that. They didn't, you know, he chose the wrong thing. So the Metropolis explodes, just completely blows up. So basically he killing jokes Superman and it works like and Superman comes back down and immediately murders the Joker and Batman goes, holy shit, what did you just do? And suddenly there's a divide between Batman and Superman over morality and everybody kind of falls in behind one of those two guys and it kicks off five years of war between these two factions that mm. that pulls in everybody from the entire green and yellow lantern cores to trigon to mr mitzelplex to um all the the greek gods and themiscira like every um you know the magical world comes into it like everything is impacted by this. So many characters die or are murdered throughout the whole thing. Now are and, they killing off main named characters oh yes Left okay right. yeah, yeah yeah so yeah. is it is it just widely understood as soon as you start reading like this is and this is not canon in I, that way it's pretty clear that this is a this is not like a new 52 canonized thing because this would have been coming out during new 52 yeah um, so it's an elseworlds series but it's so robust that it feels like it's, it's i mean it's a really flushed out canon because it's just right you know having so many issues over so much time and there's a lot of interesting little sub stories that tie in but everything is consumed by this you know the entire dc universe even like you know dark side and the new gods are all consumed by this one event on earth which is this fraction you know this fraction between these two teams and mm. so it's really it really makes the video game a thousand times more worth it when you're playing mm. it knowing this was the history and this is how everything kind of shook out the way it did in the game. Um, so years one and two are awesome. Uh, years three, four, you know, equally good, but they, there's a new writer who takes over so that the, it kind of changes a little bit tonally. And then year five, just, Oh God, it's painful. Just, it's really, it's just, I don't know what happened, but man, it's like they ran out of It's It's like year four ends on such an epic note that anything after that was just like, why bother? Like mm. why have another? So, just don't understand that going in. Um, and then where was like, Oh, the artists do change. So every maybe six, you know, I would say six issues, another artist takes over. So that you get some repeats. Um, so you do get some consistency in style. They do 
try to maintain as much continuity as they can just from visual cues and things. But you do get a dip, you get a, you do get a shift like in the way they draw Superman that kind of affects the tone now and then. Um, huh. And there's some artists who are clearly much better than others, like just you know, in terms of the skill. So you kind of have like these these runs where like in these runs of six or or so issues where it just feels like it's really clicking on all levels and then it gets a little clunky, but it's still worth, you know, still addicted to reading through it because you can just keep, because of the way guided view works, it just, every panel pulls you in and you just, you don't feel like you're even through five books already before you, you know, it's, it's already like, you know, 20 minutes. Now to, to run for that long, um, you know, as an Elseworld series, uh, that's more than like what we think of as like event books, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, would like, do you think it's more, does it become more soap opera about the relationships? Or oh is God. Yes. Like, okay. So it's no, not just like heavy action all the time. Like huge. No, 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 no. Okay. I mean, there's some great action, but no, no, the, even the pacing works very much like a soap opera. Like, gotcha. and that's, I mean, that's kind of how, Again, I don't hate. I don't, I'm not knocking it in terms of quality, but every issue is is instantly digestible because it is so, like, you know, they do that little recap at the beginning of each issue, like you know, last time, like I love you, Marlena. No, John, you know, it's it's got that sort right. Of, but like, you end up spending an entire issue on like five minutes between characters. Like, time moves as slowly as they want it to, and then okay. they'll just you know instantly catch up again to to get us you know like three weeks later. It's like, oh, okay, all right. Hmm. You have to, to jump ahead. I mean, because you know, that amount of time does pass. You actually see Damian Wayne grow older as each year progresses, which is kind of fun. Do you feel like um, uh, was it sort of? Do you think they had the five years planned out when they started publishing it? Like, was it sort of like, hey, here's where we need to get to, and here's how we're going to do it, like outline year by year? Um, because it's interesting that you say it declines in the fifth year, which would have been, which means that. Uh, you you never really read it up to where the game starts, although you didn't come in from the game, so maybe you don't care. But <laughs> I mean, over the weekend, I finally did catch up on those last five issues. Oh, okay. Um, and they they could have done that. That they could have done all of your five and three issues and been done. Like, there's just yeah, we don't need to see like you know six or seven issues in a row of like the clone sort of. Uh, right. dumb Superman just sort of flying around like getting into madcap adventures in Germany. It's like, it's, I liken it to the era, you know, to the episodes of Dragon Ball Z where we have to watch Goku get a job. It's like, we don't, we don't need this. We don't, this is not helping anything. We don't need to know this part of Goku's life. Just, we don't know. We don't care. So it's not, I, I would say to answer your question, every year definitely was outlined ahead of time so like i'm guessing yeah. those gaps in between they're like okay we're gonna outline year two okay this will be the uh, lantern core gar- you know guardians of the universe sort of um year and here's the here the characters here's who's your right up here i don't i would be surprised if they had all five mapped out ahead of time because every yeah. every year feels like what haven't they done yet okay we'll do this now you know it just it feels there it's it's very much built around themes like year one is you know, all the Justice League characters you ever want to see. Year two is all the, you know, Green Lantern and, and adjacent characters you ever want to see. Um, mm. And like that whole mythology. Year three is all the magic and like demonic and, and other, you know, and, and that kind of characters you ever, it's a very much very magic tinged. Year four is all the Greek gods, um, all the new gods, uh, all of, you know, new, new, all of those 
just you know, higher celestial being kinds of things. So it almost feels like an event book for a different portion of the universe every yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Based, yeah. That's an interesting way, but yeah, just a very long one because when, I mean, that's yeah. 24 <laughs> issues is, you know, two volume, two trade paperbacks probably. Yeah. That's um, well, and maybe more than that, if they're going with the six issues per, per book. Um, and I, you know, one, one thing I wanted to get back to is like when you talk about the guided view being so seamless and this was at least i mean i had to look it up it looks like it was originally published in 2013 mm -hmm. so I, that to me is kind of the power of the big two you know it's like when they got into digital they started doing it right and <laughs> yeah or you know i mean we've talked about uh you know issues we've had i know it wasn't like a, a it didn't always work great for everyone i know some of the early frustrations I talked about were, were DC and Marvel books, you know, where they hadn't quite gotten the guided view working yet. Well, hey, um, big difference, big difference, and something that endeared me to comicsology early on. And actually, wow, this is a revelation because this is actually what tipped me into image to begin with. So check this out. When Injustice and He-Man both, um, sorry, when Masters of the Universe both were coming out on comicsology, there were no ads except for like one insert at the very beginning so that you have like the cover and like an insert for like some ad of some kind and then that's it until the very very end you had like one other ad and then like the final like back cover so you I'm... weren't like it didn't break it up whereas the printed editions it did so if you bought those single issues in the store you were getting like page 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 ad page 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 ad you know right. The typical oh, right, right, right. Yeah. big two sort of way of, of laying out their single issues which drives me nuts so i was just like just buy that alone going, well, shoot, I'll buy these always on Comixology. I also really think some of those panels were designed knowing that Comixology was kind of their preference in terms of medium. Yeah. Because they just, they are set up in such a way that you're like, I could see this being, they just feel more effective digitally than they do in print. Like you have more, I don't know, just the, the way they flow together and the way there's some symmetry between panels changing. You see like, you know, if you have one panel at a time, it's fading in, you know, a character's head placement is either a mirror or a complete duplicate of the head placement the next, you know, the next time. And it just, yeah. it does a lot of really interesting things that way. But here, knowing that, um, that when I did finally go back into the store again, I actually, and interestingly, I, I think I started really going back into stores to find the omnibus collections of these gods among us books. They hadn't gotten that far along yet to really do an omnibus. Now they have them, you know, for every year. And you, I think you can get all five years in one gigantic Gutenberg Bible copy, but I was yeah. going in for that. And then I was just seeing these really cool single issues on the wall. And I'm like, wait, image, you know, uh, uh, boom, like these indie studios, but a lot of them were image titles, no ads at all. I was like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Then I, just, I, I wonder if it wasn't that, that really kind of pushed me into indie books to begin with specifically image just this idea that i was so used to having this amazing experience digitally with gods among us that you know that i wanted in a physical sense that's i never thought about that before huh that that's really interesting too and i um man i, I love thinking of the gateway books that like got you into something else you know um well, because i I always I think of that, uh, you know, what reinvigorated my interest a lot were those Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale books that we talk about. So, yeah, it's Batman and it's DC, but they looked so different from what I expected from DC that that was like where it went like, hey, it's OK to get back into superhero books, you know, mm -hmm. like it's not all going to look like Marvel's Civil War, you know, yeah. um, which is a series that 
I, I don't feel like I could talk about because I've, I've never completed it, but it was like, a, it was a big turnoff for me in the day when the first civil war came out. Like I just mm -hmm. didn't like the look of it or the feel of the books or, you know, I remember picking up the floppies and going like, Oh, I hate the way comics feel now. Mm -hmm. Um, so slick and digital. Um, so it's really cool that we've <laughs> gotten to this place. I was, a, before you talked about how injustice brought you back into the comic book store, to get the physical editions, I was thinking like, wow, I wonder if there's this super freedom in a, in a series like that for one of the big two publishers where they go, Hey, this is not going to be Canon. Let's experiment all we want with guided view and everything like that might've been mm. what they needed to kind of like get it all together with their developers. Like, you know, cause they, they almost don't care. I'm surprised that there are omnibus editions of it, but I guess people came to love the series so much that there's really a demand for that. I mean, I, I actually did have I have a physical copy of Year One um, as like a, it's not hardcover it's like a floppy version that's I'm probably gonna end up donating it or giving it away to listeners at some point um, and I it, it's great it's a beautiful beautiful copy but it's just like comparing it the digital the physical experience of reading this book is just not as satisfying so I'm just kind of like I don't know if I want all of these sitting on my shelf knowing that I will only ever probably read it on Comixology anyway. Right, so it was kind of that, right. you know, in a lot of situations I've, I've mentioned before being a completist, you know, I have, I have the multiversity on Comixology. I have the multiversity in its hardcover, you know, kind of deluxe edition. I have the multiversity in every single individual issue because oh it's, it's like it, you know, a lot of it's the, the way that book works. You kind of do want to have it all because it's kind of part of the story to do that. But like, I, I don't, just see that happening with this it's just it kind of it's you know i enjoyed it digitally first just kind of feels better you get you compare it in contrast i just don't see it working as well and it's and the other thing too is that a lot, there's so many panels uh on the physical page it gets a little visually exhausting um mm. so you probably i noticed i didn't read it as quickly as i did when i'm just like you know literally fingering through panels um uh, you know breakneck speed but it doesn't it just it flows like a movie it feels like you know an actual like almost want to put a Hans Zimmer score behind it, you know, just to yeah. kind of match the pace. Yeah, that's, um, man, that's, I mean, as this, uh, as our current situation continues, like one of the things on my mind is how to, uh, downsize a little bit. So I don't feel like I have such a, a physical, uh, like footprint, you know? Um, <laughs> and, uh, so comic books is something I'm taking a really hard look at and especially single issues and seeing if, you know, why am I keeping a bunch of these single issues and should I upgrade to trade paperbacks? Uh, although that doesn't reduce my physical footprint, but it collects it a little bit more yeah. neatly. Yeah. Um, or, or is it worth going to comiXology for some of those things or, you know, just, it's just one of those things that's on my mind. So it's, um, it's fun to talk about things that you own in <laughs> three different formats. <laughs> I don't do that for everything. Oh, I mean, exactly. There's, yeah. There's some limited, limited things like that, but like that was one of those series where I'm like, I want it. I need it in every format. I, um, another really good one is, um, uh, black Monday murders just cause you kind of want, right. you kind of want those single issues, almost like they're case briefs. It just kind of feels like that. Yeah. What else do I, got, I have? Oh, I got ahead. another, uh, injustice, uh, follow up for you, which is, um, in that soap opera e way, uh, um, what characters did you find standing out to you that maybe you didn't expect? Like, oh, there's an in the DC universe. Um, they give Harley Quinn a lot of fun, interesting stuff to do, and I think up until that mm. point, we hadn't seen a, a Margot Robbie movie yet. 
Yeah, she you wasn't know, a had, very three-dimensional character up until that point. Yeah, and we we hadn't seen White Knight yet, which I think is my favorite version of Harley Quinn. But you know, it's actually two versions, and, and you get two for the price of one. But that hadn't come out yet. Um, so yeah, this was the first time I kind of got to see Harley Quinn have all these like it just very. She had she had a lot of interactions with a lot of characters and kind of evolves a lot through this because she was there when the Joker did all that to Superman. She was there with the Joker. She was like by his side. And I think she even was sort of freaked out by all that. And then obviously mm-hmm. he gets murdered. So she's like, oh, shoot. You know, and then she kind of has to go through that existential crisis of not having Mr. J around. Other yeah. than her, um, wow, Hal Jordan comes off looking like a total total dickhead. Yeah, you just you hate Hal Jordan all the more um, for all the right reasons, by the way. Who else, though? There's I'm trying to think who else I didn't feel like I – oh, um, I would say – I would say um, Dr. Fate and um, eh, John Constantine probably too. Like those guys get a lot of face time in the third year. And I didn't really quite – I didn't know a lot about Dr. Fate at that point in time. So that was – you got mm. get you get more of a sense of who he is and what he sort of stands for and what he's able to do, um, more of his voice anyway. And then – I think a lot of those third year characters, yeah, Constantine up till that point, I didn't realize, you know, was sort of, I was kind of always sort of had, and it, forgive me, but I sort of had Keanu Reeves in my mind um, as like Constantine, because that was the only sort of exposure yeah. to Constantine I had prior to seeing him in this. And then, you know, since this, we have him on TV, we have him in like, you know, uh, animated movies, like it's, there's a lot more now to draw on, but um, this is kind of my first exposure to Constantine. And it feels like there's a missing somebody key trying to think of who that is like you get all your basic <laughs> Hawkman. Ba- i mean he shows up as i mean he's just as one-dimensional as you as he's probably ever been um, well it's it's funny because what um you talking about this reminded me i was thinking of those other sort of non-canon dc works all those maybe this is canon um I, I, a book i don't think we've maybe ever mentioned on the podcast that i really enjoyed called identity crisis which was this sort of murder mystery seven issue series that they did um where this like kind of pulp crime novelist or like the john grisham of uh novels uh, this guy named brad metzler i just pulled it up i can't remember what his last name is um Meltzer. he wrote it for dc so it was like a, an interesting thing where they pulled in like a novelist and said hey can you write like a crime novel for dc and and it's one of those where there are all these character moments of like the atom and elongated man and people that you aren't really familiar with. So thinking of injustice where it's like, Hey, it's literally the whole universe of characters. Yeah. That's what's, you know, sparked that, that question was like, Oh yeah, I bet you get to see some really interesting character moments from people you don't normally follow when they mix up like that much. So yeah. What is, I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole lot of time with Aries and it's really fun to like read Aries now in the voice of, uh, of, uh, Oh God, what's his face? Who plays him in the movie? Oh shoot. Ares, like the god of war. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh! Guy, in uh, 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 oh my god. The dude. guy from Harry Potter. What the hell's his name? The actor's yeah. name. Professor oh, Lupin. Yes, um, that. But his, oh god, his name's right on the tip of my tongue. I'll, anyway, I'll, I'll get it. You look at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm not even gonna look it up. I got it. It's gotta come to me naturally. <laughs> it's interesting that like I, I have now, I now retroactively Thulis, added his voice. David Thewlis. David Thewlis. Oh, thank you, prominently. Uh, <laughs> I add, I add his voice to like Aries now when I read it in like comics it's interesting to and there's a lot of fun Aries stuff I feel yeah. like there's you know Ganthet had some interesting things 
Well, there's another big, huge uh, DC team up that we should talk about sometime, which is uh, the big, oh my gosh, like Brightest Day. Weren't you a big fan of that? Or Darkest Night? Um, Darkest Night. Yeah, no, Darkest Night. Yeah, because I don't know much about the Green Lantern Corps or anything like that. I can roll deep. I can go deep. I know, I know. (laughs) For some weird reason, of all the, the corners of the DC universe, the Green Lantern you know, everything about the Green Lantern Corps and like all the associated cores and that whole mythology. I just, I love that for some reason. And it's like, I've, yeah, the darkest night, the whole origin of the White Lantern, like all of that, I can just go, I can roll pretty deep on all, all things Green Lantern. <laughs> I know. And in the early days of this podcast, I remember like being startled by that. Like you would, you would quote something from the Green Lantern Corps and I was like, whoa, that is deep. I don't know any of it. So, um, I don't know yeah. what here's but when I think objectively about them like I what is it about it that and I can't I can't think of anything other than it's just cool that there's a color for every every you know every core has got their own color and it's kind of like Voltron. You know, that's the only thing I can I can draw. I'm like why else am I attracted to this? You know, the idea of manifesting stuff from your ring, I guess. I but it just seems like there's other aspects of the DC universe that should appeal to me more, but for some reason. Are you do you know anything about Kyle Rayner and the White Lantern? Only from what you have told me. Um, that's probably the most interesting story because there is um, there's an amazing book uh, that you know we've talked on this podcast about um, Mr. Miracle and Vision as being sort yeah. of these very heavy kind of adult serious kind of graphic novels, but in you know with these Marvel characters that have been very mainstream. DC did that same thing with uh, the White Lantern in a book called, and I'm scrolling furiously through Comicsology trying to find it because I forgot the name of it too. I'm having a massive brain fart this afternoon, Todd. Hmm. Uh, this, I, oh, I, there we go, the, the Omega Men. So uh, the Omega Men is this great, great series that came out in 2015, 2016, and it's all about the White Lantern, and it's as good and as deep as the Vision and Mr. Miracle books are. Man, that's really cool. Yeah, there's another one for me but, to look yeah, into. I've, I've I've broken you. You mentioned something else and asked me if I heard of if I read Darkest Day or, or Brightest Night. You were gonna. No, say, no, mention- no. I I was just going into like uh, you digging into injustice means that we should probably do episodes on those things, like uh, to dig yeah, into a lot of those bigger series. We have yet to do like an episode on House of X, uh, Powers of X, which I have not actually read, um, although I have it. <laughs> so. Um, we've got a lot of possible to do's ahead of us. Yeah, we should, you know, I think we should, we should dig deep on some like genre stuff soon. Like either pick like a DC or Mar, pick a month and be like, hey, it's all Marvel May or it's all DC June or something oh, to that. Or we just, that's all we do. Cause we, we rightfully give a lot of love to indie publishers, specifically like two or three. And I just, I kind of want to, I want to make sure we're, we're really flushing out the DC Marvel side of our, of our chat. Not that we don't. You know, we, we do those from time to time, but I feel like there's so many books that I've kind of I'm, I'm even just scrolling through comiXology like, God, we haven't talked about that. We haven't talked about that. Like there's so much DC Marvel stuff that I could I could roll on. And I, I agree. And it's it's funny, too, because we think that. But we probably we're probably about half and half as much as we think that we lean indie. I bet if we went back through our episodes, it's <laughs> and uh, a lot of that may just be me because I feel like I. <laughs> I bring up mainstream books a lot, but when I I was scrolling through my comiXology as you were as well, and it's almost like row for row, like one is all indie and then one is all Marvel. Uh (laughs) So, um, 
Yeah. Wait, but how it's... do you on Comicsology? How do you uh, how do you organize your library when you click like hit refine? It's uh, by da- most recent added. And are you by books or by series? Oh, by series. By series, okay. Yeah. It's too bad you can't like store it by publisher. That'd be cool, like book series publisher, or book yeah. series author. I mean, better yet. Um, boy, we're we're falling into the weeds here, uh, which yeah. probably means that we should wrap it up <laughs> and say that all of these episodes we are referring to can be found at panelism.inc. That is a real uh, website address, and we are on Instagram as panelism.inc. Um, where Taylor posts uh, your stand on top of it in a way <laughs> that I never have. So um, that's cool. And uh, do we want to sum up what we talked about today? Go to Image, check on Mirka Andolfo and Jonathan Hickman. Go to Humble Bundle and check out Jonathan Hickman. I know what I meant to say. Thank you for stalling brain. Um, was uh, We brought up, uh, I, I, I saw an interesting thing this week. Like, So you had posted on Instagram about the last book we discussed, Why Art? And the creator kind of chimed in in the comments with a thanks for us covering it. And it made me think of um, how we ought to be looking these days for ways that we can support these creators directly. If it means buying the book from them or, you know, supporting them on Patreon or something. Um, I don't have those things specifically for Mirka and Hickman. Um, but, uh, you know, anything you're doing to like help out those those creators who are often just freelance artists who you know don't don't have jobs to to lose in this economy they just don't have the job so um i think hickman's doing pretty well for himself though yeah he's probably okay um <laughs> he's, he and, and kirkman are probably anyway, okay yeah yeah um you know but we'll do our best to highlight where you can specifically support indie creators um by buying directly from them or something like that so lovely uh, idea yeah yeah, and I just picture. Our, uh, oh, <laughs> I pictured them having the garage full of their book, you know, when it came out, and they're like, oh. "Yeah, yeah, I'll take 200 copies to sell." And then it's like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> like sad indie artists from the early 90s, you know. Oh, just, just yeah, like, like the indie musicians, where you're like, "I got a garage full of CDs." Uh, uh, you have to buy your own remainder from your label back in those exactly. days. Exactly. Yeah, God, that's that's you know that's a podcast we should ponder, just like music business tales, because I feel like. <laughs> I could rant, at, you know, the shit, you know, the stuff you and I saw in Nashville alone, and and some of that stuff we saw together, but a lot of it we, you know, was sort of different experiences. Like that could be, that could be interesting. Well, I would like to know how it's affecting the comic book artists these days. You know, that was a main theme when we started this podcast. Was like, is the comics industry going to make every mistake that the music industry makes yeah. on its way to digitalization? Um, and we used to say yes, and it does seem like they really turned a corner fairly quickly and adapted. But I don't know how that impacts the artists. So, I oh, my say, God, this I is mean, the part of the podcast where I'm just going to start fading the volume out. <laughs> Wait, but here's an interesting here's an interesting question. And this may yeah. necessitate a whole other episode, and that's fine. But um, the one thing you can't say about the music business is that they are – I mean, like they – if they hadn't transitioned to digital when they had – their business would still be based on having to go drive to a place to pick up a piece of plastic to play the music. Right. right? Like that doesn't exist anymore. Like they, one of the most recession proof businesses is Spotify at the moment. Cause it's just like, and that revenue just keeps, keeps going. Not that artists, Spotify. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, but and, and I understand that the, there's a, you know, the, not every artist is, is directly benefiting from Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like the industry itself is operating almost exclusively now off this licensing and and, and streaming yeah. revenue from various sources. Comics never did that, and I don't. You know, we've talked 
for great, at great lengths about digital versus physical and the uh, benefits and, and weaknesses of each. So it's like you can't just say, well, there shouldn't be you know, comic stores. Absolutely there should be. There needs to continue to be comic stores. So it's a very different animal. I just wish those stores weren't exclusively – fulfilled by one company who can basically turn the yeah. lever off and on at their will. That just, that seems. Or by force majeure, you know, something yeah, happens in yeah. the world that prevents them from doing their business. And all of a sudden everybody has to shut down yeah. because diamond can't deliver. Like that's a, that is a huge problem, you know, um, which was uh, like you point out was probably going to be the case. Like I, uh, I think music used to have one, particular distributor as well like and if that had shut down back there when were I- two there were two at that point it was handelman and then i forget the other one but they were like they were the ones that distributed like best buy and walmart right and, right you know, right that stuff so you can imagine if that were the way we counted on for our to get our music you know it would just be gone right now yeah uh, oh boy yeah strange times strange <laughs> times indeed well after uh, that's all that, that's all there will be for me on this uh for now for now. For now. We'll get into yeah. it. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for hanging around. And um, the music has, has probably already trailed off at this I point. I hope so. Happy reading, everybody. <laughs> if you're still listening, happy reading. Happy, en- enjoy your life. <laughs> Liberty. Take care. Happiness. Six feet. A good yeah. warm coat. Yeah. <laughs> don't come to my beach. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Don't come to, don't come to the uh, – what's the beach called again? San Diego's – Or no. <laughs> Newport Beach. Newport Beach. Thank okay. you.